Let us turn in scripture together to Psalm 103. Continue our communion series through this psalm. And we are up to verse 8, and that will be the text. We'll read the entire psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 8 is the text. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. A curious unbeliever were to ask you briefly to explain to him who God is and what God is like, how would you answer that question? What would you say? It's not really an easy question to answer, is it? God is infinite, after all, meaning you can never impose limits on him. He's inexhaustible. There's no boundaries that can wrap themselves around his being, around who he is. So how can you possibly tell someone, this is God? How can you describe him? We can never be complete. You could never give a complete answer to that question. If you tried, it would go on for eternity. But you can give a glimpse a snapshot of who God is, who you know him to be from his word, from your own experience, why he is so worthy of all of your worship and praise. And in that sense, many good snapshots, many good glimpses could be given. Who is God? What is he like? Well, if you were to answer that question, one of the best answers that you could give would be to simply quote, our text. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. That verse is God's own concise revelation of who he is. It's a short list of his divine attributes. And this short list has been constructed intentionally. God didn't just randomly pick 
a few of his attributes and throw them into this verse, they are selected under inspiration to convey something very important to us. That this is who God wants us to see him as. This is who he is. And this is who he is to us. And this is how we must see him and know him. Psalm 103 is about praising God. And up to this point, the psalmist has been enumerating the great reasons that we have to praise God. And the focus of the psalm is especially upon God's works. What he has done for us. But now what he has done for us has something very important that stands behind it. Namely, who God is in himself. And so in verse 8, it is as if the psalmist step back, steps back for a moment. Having praised God for all that he has done, he steps back and beholds who this God is. And then gets back to praising this God for all that he has done. And those two go together. We worship and we adore our God because of who he is and because of what he has done. And he has done for us what he has done because of who he is. So this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we're going to meditate for a short while upon the character of God as revealed in verse 8. That it may stir up our souls that from the heart we say with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul. This text proclaims to us who our God is. Then the Lord's Supper will show us who our God is. This feast says something about the host, does it not? And this feast shows us what this text tells us, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy toward his people. The Lord's Supper says to you this morning, believer, this is who I am to you. This is who God is to you. Mercy. Grace. So let us reflect on the character of the host of this feast. Considering this text under the theme, praising Jehovah for who he is. First, in himself, who he is in himself. Secondly, toward us, who he is toward us. And finally, unto him. The result of seeing who he is in himself and who he is towards us means praise unto him. Psalm 103 verse 8 is about God in himself. And all of the comfort that we gain, that we derive from this verse, goes back to that fundamental truth, who God is in himself. And so we begin the sermon with the rich theology that is packed into the opening words. The Lord is. When you read the Bible, don't pass over words like that quickly. The Lord is this or that. Those words are filled with meaning. The Lord is. God is in a deeper and different sense than we are or you are. When the Bible says God is merciful or God is gracious, it means much more than when, for example, you say, My husband is kind. He's a kind man. Or my wife is self-giving. She's gracious to others. When we say he is, she is, I am, you are, we describe a characteristic of that person. What they're like. But when the Bible says God is, the Bible is revealing A perfection of the divine being. A perfection of God's unchangeable character. God is in a different and deeper way than you and I are. After all, our characteristics aren't perfections, are they? They certainly are not. Our attributes are certain qualities that we manifest to one degree or another in our earthly lives. And the good characteristics that we have are graces worked in us by the sovereign hand of God. But nonetheless, they're not perfections. We are not perfect on this side 
of the grave. The kind husband may be a kind man, but not always. Not always to the same degree. There are times he is unkind when his anger gets the best of him. The gracious, self-giving wife isn't always self-giving because there is selfishness bound up in every single human heart. And even the sanctified saint wrestles against that selfishness of the flesh. Not perfections. But God's characteristics are perfections. Perfections. They describe who God is in himself eternally and unchangeably. When the Bible, when our text says God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, that's what he is all the time. Perfectly. Without stop, without cease, without change, without any fluctuation. That's who he is. That's why the Bible says God is love. And that's not to teach us that love is unique among God's attributes. God is love, but then his other attributes are lesser qualities of the divine being. No, God is his attributes. God is mercy. God is grace. God is slowness to anger. That is patience, long-suffering. When the Bible says God is merciful and gracious, it is saying, God is mercy. God is grace. That is, God is the overflowing fountain of all good. You recognize that beautiful phrase from Belgic Confession Article 1. God is good. And that statement there means God is absolutely good. And he is the overflowing fountain of all good. All that is good comes from God. All that is truly good is a reflection of the unchangeable divine being. He is good. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is patient. He is plenteous in mercy. That is who God is in himself. That is who God is apart from any of his creatures. Apart from all of creation. He is. It's not that God became merciful and gracious when he created us and when he redeemed us in Jesus Christ. Of course, redemption is the supreme demonstration and revelation and manifestation of that mercy and that grace. But God is merciful and gracious within himself. Even if he never created the world, even if you and I never existed, God would be merciful and gracious. Because God is the I am that I am. That's the name of God in our text. Lord, in all caps, Jehovah, I am that I am. He doesn't need us to be who he is. He is entirely independent from us. And yet the wonder of his revelation in the scriptures is that he is pleased to reveal in the most beautiful way who he is by making us and redeeming us to be the vessels of his mercy and grace, to be the reflectors of the unspeakable beauty of his divine being. God is merciful, gracious. Understanding the rich theology of the opening words of the text, God is, let's go a little deeper then into who God is in himself and look at those attributes which are intentionally written down in our text. In himself, God is merciful, the text teaches us. Mercy. Mercy is tender affection that desires and seeks the good and blessedness of another. When mercy sees someone in misery, mercy shows itself as compassion for the miserable one. And that compassion is not just a feeling, but it is an action. Compassion takes action. And the action of that compassion is lifting up the miserable one to make them blessed. That's mercy. Now, God is mercy in himself. He's merciful in himself, entirely apart from all creatures. God, first of all, has mercy toward himself. 
What does that mean? God is never miserable. God is never down in the dump. God is never in need of lifting up. After all, in him there is no darkness. There is no shadow of turning. He never needs pity or lifting out of misery. His divine life is infinitely and unchangeably blessed and happy. And yet God is in himself merciful. What that refers to then is the the tender affection that the three persons of the Trinity have for each other within the divine life of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit each seek and desire the good and blessedness of the other and delight in that good and blessedness of the other. And this then is a pattern for how we can understand all of God's attributes within himself. Grace. The text says the Lord is gracious. What does that mean? Well, grace in the scriptures, has at its root the idea of beauty. Grace as an attribute is beauty, pleasantness, comeliness. And that pleasantness is rooted in ethical goodness. An important application there. According to scripture, that which is sinful and evil is never beautiful, never lovely, never comely. Sin is always ugly, and repulsive. And when it appears beauty, or beautiful, when it appears pleasant, it's a lie. It's a lie. Evil is ugly. Grace is beauty rooted in ethical purity. And that's God. God is gracious in himself, meaning he is the perfection of all beauty, all pleasantness, all comeliness. And that is rooted in the holiness, the purity of his divine being. And now arising out of that beauty of the divine being is a beautiful attitude. Grace is an attitude of favor. God is gracious within himself. He delights in the beauty of his own holiness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The light of their triune countenance shines upon one another. That's another dimension of the infinitely blessed life of God. He is gracious within himself. And his favorable countenance, first of all, shines upon himself. He is merciful. He is gracious within himself. And going on in the text... Come to slow to anger. Here we might wonder, how does this apply to God within himself? How is God slow to anger within himself? After all, God can never be angry with himself. Because God is holy. And therefore God's anger is the reaction of his holiness to that which is contrary to him. God's anger is the reaction of his holiness to that which is evil. And there being no evil in God means it's impossible for him to be angry with himself or to have any sort of ill will towards himself. So how can it be that God is slow to anger in himself? Well, the idea is that he's patient. He's long-suffering. He is never rash or reckless in his anger, but only ever wise, deliberate, and purposeful. His anger is never a flare of temper, never an irrational rage, never something that flows out of selfishness. But God's anger is only ever pure. And when it is kindled, when it does arise, it is for good reason. It is a holy anger against sin and against evil. God is patient within himself. An extent of that means that within God's life, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the infinitely blessed life of the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead never tire of each other, never grow weary of one another, never get sick of each other. But their communion is perfect, characterized by patience, love. Finally, the text summarizes it all up. He's plenteous in mercy. Plenteous in mercy. 
Here, the word mercy at the end of our text is a different word than the one that we find at the beginning of the text. The beginning of the text is the Hebrew word that means especially compassion. Compassion. But mercy at the end of the text is a word we've talked about before. We saw it used in Ruth quite often. It's a very rich covenantal word which contains within it the idea of loyal love, of tender affection, of steadfast faithfulness, all of that packed into one word. That's why the King James renders it in different ways throughout the scriptures. It renders it as mercy, as loving kindness, because, well, our English language just doesn't have a term expansive enough to capture the rich idea of this Hebrew word. God is plentiful, plenteous in loving kindness, that is plenteous in loyal love, tender compassion, and steadfast faithfulness. And that makes sense. It's connected with his name, Jehovah. He is the God of the covenant. And that, first of all, within himself. God is a covenant God within himself. We go back to that doctrine of the Trinity. The life of God within himself is a covenant life. What is the covenant? It's a relationship of love, friendship, and fellowship. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within the one divine being that they equally and eternally share. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love, friendship, fellowship. And in this relationship of love and friendship, they are loyal to one another, devoted to one another, steadfastly faithful to one another. And that's the basis upon which the covenant of grace is established with God's elect. The covenant of grace is patterned after who God is in himself as the triune God. How beautiful the words of our text. So simple. So straightforward. A young child can understand them. How easy they are to understand. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, and yet so very deep that the richest theology of the scriptures is packed into them. This is who God is in himself, eternally, unchangeably. Mercy, grace, patience, loyal love, tender compassion, steadfast faithfulness. The psalmist leads us through this deep theology, not so that we may merely think about it in the abstract, though the sermon thus far should not be in the abstract. The scriptures have lifted the eyes of our faith to behold, as it were, through a window, the being of God, and that should lead us to awe and reverence and to sing with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, for who thou art. It's not abstract, but The psalmist wants to now take it back to us. Who God is in himself has implications for us. Who God has called into fellowship with himself. Who God has given spiritual rebirth by the power of his spirit. Ones whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world and made members of his covenant. Who God is in himself has tremendous implications for us. Because who God is in himself is who God is toward us, his people. And that's the connection we want to see here. That's the connection that comes to the foreground in the psalm. The first part of which is extolling God for all of his works on behalf of his people. Behind those works is who God is in himself. And because of who he is, this is how he works. And that underscores the the reliability and the certainty of God's works for us. His saving works. They arise Out of his own divine being. 
God is truth. Titus 1 verse 2 says that God is a God who cannot lie. And that goes for the words he speaks. But that also goes for the works that he does. That God is truth means there's never inconsistency between who God is and what God does. There is never a contradiction between who God is in himself and the way he acts towards his people. But there is always perfect harmony. There's a big difference between you and me. As fallen, sinful creatures, there is often inconsistency between who we are within and who we present ourselves to be on the outside. There may be inconsistency or contradiction between what we think and what we do and say. Never with God. He is always perfectly himself. What good news that is for poor sinners. God is always perfectly himself. And who is he in himself? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. That's who he is toward us. He is the overflowing fountain of all good toward us. The overflowing fountain of mercy toward us, of grace toward us, of patience toward us. And all that is wrapped in to that beautiful word mercy at the end of the verse. Toward us. Good news. The possibility, of course, of that is Jesus Christ. Jehovah's salvation. The name Lord. We go back to that name in the verse. The Lord. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. The Lord Jehovah. And he shows that mercy and that grace. That slowness to anger. That plenteousness of mercy. He shows that. He demonstrates that. He works that. In Jehovah's salvation. The person whose name is Jehovah's salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mercy of God incarnate. He is the grace of God made manifest. He is the slowness of God's anger revealed. He is, in our flesh, the overflowing fountain of all good who brings to us the fullness of salvation blessings. Through His work, pictured now on this table, The breaking of the bread, which is a sign and a seal, his broken body. The pouring out of the wine, which pictures for us the pouring out of his shed blood. His death on the cross of Calvary. He died there for you and me. God in the flesh. God the Son incarnate. He died there for you and me. Why? Because God must always be himself. And God is also holy, righteous, pure. He cannot behold iniquity. Sin and evil cannot dwell with him. Justice must be satisfied. The holy wrath of God must be appeased. God's grace, God's mercy are not at war with his holiness and righteousness. But at perfect harmony. And that's displayed in Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross, suffered his blessed body to be nailed to that accursed tree, suffered his blood to be shed, that payment for your sins and my sins and all of the sins of his elect might be made perfect atonement that appeases that holy wrath of God. So that the stream of mercy and grace might flow to us in the riverbed of divine justice. And that's the only riverbed That mercy and grace can ever flow in. The riverbed of justice to us. That God might be just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus Christ. And so we need to see Christ in this passage. His name is here. In the name Lord Jehovah. He is the reason. 
that the God who is mercy, grace, slowness to anger and plenteous in mercy in himself. Jesus is the reason that this God is also all of that toward us. Unchangeably toward us. Let's make that personal for a couple moments. Believer, this is how God tells you to see Him. This is God's word to you, believer, this morning. God's word telling you, this is who I am to you. Mercy, mercy. You need mercy? You need mercy this morning? If you say you don't, you're blind. Wake up. You see, you do. You do. You say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You did some self-examination the week gone by. What did you see? The body of this death, my sinful nature, my sins which are more than I can count in thought, word, and deed, and very desire. As we've been going through the Ten Commandments in the Heidelberg Catechism preaching, each of those commandments have been a spotlight upon our sins. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? God, who in himself is mercy. The God who gave His Son Jesus Christ to the death of the cross. So that that mercy might flow to you in plenteous, inexhaustible abundance. There's mercy for you this morning, believing sinner. And every day of your life. Because God is merciful. Embrace that by faith. It's an objective reality. Take hold of it subjectively too. When you think about God, how do you think about Him? Is He cold-hearted? Is He distant? Is He unconcerned with you in your misery? Oh no. Oh no. Don't think that. If you think that, be corrected by this text, which is God telling you how to see Him. Merciful and gracious. Yes, we are wretched men. Yes, we don't deserve his favor. Yes, our sins make us deserving to be thrust away from him. Yes. Through Christ, he's merciful and gracious. We don't deserve it. But he freely gives that mercy and grace, lifting us up out of our misery and causing us to taste his blessedness. Come to the Lord's Supper. This visible word is going to show you that. This visible word is a picture of God's character. This visible word shows you what God is to you for Jesus' sake. Mercy, grace. And this God who is merciful and gracious is slow to anger. Yes, God has anger because He's holy He is angry with the wicked every day, but that anger is not selfish. And yes, God is displeased with our sins. In a very important sense, our sins are more grievous to God than the sins of the world because we sin as his covenant friend servants and his children. He is displeased with our sins, but yet he is patient with us. He is slow to anger, even though we provoke him daily and repeatedly. He bears with us long. He is not quickly angry. His anger is not rash. It's not impulsive. It's not reckless. He doesn't strike us in a flare of temper, but his wrath is slow to rise. His anger is slow to rise. In fact, We shouldn't even say that God has wrath for us. He doesn't. All of the wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. The anger that God has against our sins is His fatherly displeasure. His fatherly displeasure. He's displeased with our sins, but He bears patiently with us. Think about it. Sometimes the Lord has to chasten us. He does. 
Sometimes he chastens us sorely, and we, like little children, have a a tendency to think, he's being extreme, over the top with us. But when we think about it, isn't it amazing that God doesn't chasten us sorely every single day? He's slow to anger, patient. See God that way. That is who he is. And that is who he is toward us. Believer, struggling with sin. Do you feel scared to go to God and pray and confess because you did it again? What does the text say? He's not quick to anger, but slow to anger. See him that way. Go to him. Confess your sins. Lay them before the throne of grace. Knowing that for Christ's sake you shall find mercy. As we struggle in our weaknesses and our sins. Yes, we have a holy God. We have a Christ. Who took away the wrath of that holy God. As we struggle in our sins. Fighting against them. Let us always remember that our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Seeing who God is, what this means for us, who He is toward us, complete the cycle unto Him. Unto Him be the glory. Unto Him be praise. Unto Him be the psalmist's words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. If this word has entered into your heart, and if your mind and heart has grasped it so that you understand it, this is the response that must follow. Bless the Lord. Unto Him be the glory. Unto Him be the glory. Not only as we survey what he's done for us, but as we peer through that scripture given window into the very being of God, is he not worthy, worthy of all praise now and forever? And is that praise not worthy of our all, our energy, our attention, our wholehearted devotion? To ask such a question is to answer it. Of course he is. Let us praise Him. Praise Him for who He is. Praise Him for what He's done in the gathered congregation, in the home, in the school, by the way. Everywhere we go, praise Him with our words. Praise Him with our works of love. God created us to be reflectors. We're His image bearers. Image bearer is supposed to look like God. Spiritually. And to reflect his glory, reflect his beauty. And so as that mercy and grace flows to us freely through Jesus Christ, let us reflect the beauty of that mercy and grace. Reflect it with words and works of praise to him for who he is and what he has done. With that praise upon our lips, come to the table then. Here is a visible demonstration of that mercy and grace. The plenteousness of it. The merciful God calls you, come. Draw near. Taste His mercy and grace anew. That from your heart there may be a new song of praise. Amen. Let us pray. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word and its disclosure of Thy divine character. May this Word fill our hearts with joy as we see who Thou art and who Thou art to us. And may we be prompted thereby to render unto Thee grateful returns of ardent love. Bless the sacrament that we soon partake of, that it may be a means of grace unto us. This all we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. That we may come to the table of the Lord with an understanding faith, we turn to the form of the administration of the Lord's Supper.
page 91 in the Psalter. Consistory has granted permission to the following brothers and sisters to partake of the supper with us. Tom and Mary Verstrat from Trinity PRC, Justin and Christina Warner from Crete PRC, and Tyler Vandentop from Grace PRC. We welcome them to the table. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, attend to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-29. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort, it is above all things necessary, first, rightly to examine ourselves. Secondly, to direct it to that end for which Christ hath ordained and instituted the same, namely to his remembrance. The true examination of ourselves consists of these three parts. First, that everyone consider by himself his sins and the curse due to him for them, to the end that he may abhor and humble himself before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that, rather than it should go unpunished, he hath punished the same in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. Secondly, that everyone examine his own heart, whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him, only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely or is imputed and freely given him as his own, yea, so perfectly as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Thirdly, that every one examine his own conscience, whether he purposeth henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life and to walk uprightly before him as also whether he hath laid aside unfeignedly all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve henceforward to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. All those then who are thus disposed, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment to themselves. Therefore, we also, according to the command of Christ, And the Apostle Paul, admonish all those who are defiled with the following sins to keep themselves from the table of the Lord, and declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ, such as all idolaters, all those who invoke deceased saints, angels, or other creatures, all those who worship images, all enchanters, diviners, charmers, and those who confide in such enchantments, all despisers of God and of his word and of the holy sacraments, all blasphemers, all those who are given to raise discord, sects, and mutiny in church or state, all perjured persons, all those who are disobedient to their parents and superiors, all murderers, contentious persons, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbors, all adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, thieves, usurers, robbers, gamesters, covetous, and all who lead offensive lives. All these, while they continue in such sins, shall abstain from this meat which Christ hath ordained only for the faithful, lest their judgment and condemnation be made the heavier. But this is not designed, dearly beloved brethren and sisters in the Lord, to deject the contrite hearts of the faithful, as if none might come to the supper of the Lord but those who are without sin. For we do not come to this supper to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves, but on the contrary, considering that we seek our life out of ourselves in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we lie in the midst of death. 
Therefore, notwithstanding, we feel many infirmities and miseries in ourselves, as namely that we have not perfect faith, and that we do not give ourselves to serve God with that zeal as we are bound, but have daily to strive with the weakness of our faith and the evil lusts of our flesh. Yet since we are, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, sorry for these weaknesses, and earnestly desirous to fight against our unbelief, and to live according to all the commandments of God, therefore we rest assured that no sin or infirmity which still remaineth against our will in us can hinder us from being received of God in mercy and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly meat and drink. Let us now also consider to what end the Lord hath instituted this supper, namely that we do it in remembrance of him. Now after this manner are we to remember him by it, that we are confidently persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent of the Father into the world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished everlastingly, from the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life upon earth, and that he hath fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law and righteousness. Especially when the weight of our sins and the wrath of God pressed out of him the bloody sweat in the garden, where he was bound that we might be freed from our sins, that he afterwards suffered innumerable reproaches, that we might never be confounded, that he was innocently condemned to death, that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God, yea, that he suffered his blessed body to be nailed on the cross, that he might fix thereon the handwriting of our sins, and hath also taken upon himself the curse due to us, that he might fill us with his blessings, and hath humbled himself under the deepest reproach and pains of hell, both in body and soul, on the tree of the cross, when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we might be accepted of God, and never be forsaken of him. And finally, confirmed with his death and the shedding of his blood, the new and eternal testament, that covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. Secondly, and that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ in his last supper took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In like manner also, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you and for many, for the remission of sins. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That is, as often as ye eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you shall thereby, as by a sure remembrance and pledge, be admonished and assured of this, my hearty love and faithfulness towards you, that whereas you should otherwise have suffered eternal death, I have given my body to the death of the cross and shed my blood for you. And as certainly feed and nourish your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as this bread is broken before your eyes and this cup is given to you and you eat and drink the same with your mouth in remembrance of me. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross, as to the only ground and foundation of our salvation, wherein he is become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true meat and drink of life eternal. For by his death he hath taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, namely sin, and obtained for us the quickening spirit that we by the same, who dwelleth in Christ as in the head and in us as his members, might have true communion with him and be made partakers of all his blessings of life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Besides, that we by this same spirit may also be united as members of one body in true brotherly love as the holy apostle Seth. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. 
For as out of many grains one meal is ground and one bread baked, and out of many berries being pressed together one wine floweth and mixeth itself together, so shall we all, who by a true faith are engrafted into Christ, be altogether one body, through brotherly love for Christ's sake our beloved Savior, who hath so exceedingly loved us, and not only show this in word, but also in very deed towards one another. Here to assist us, the Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That we may obtain all this, let us humble ourselves before God and with true faith implore his grace. O most merciful God and Father, we beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased in this supper in which we celebrate the glorious remembrance of the bitter death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that we may daily, more and more with true confidence, give ourselves up unto thy Son, Jesus Christ, that our afflicted and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Ghost may be fed and comforted with his true body and blood, yea, with him, true God and man, that only heavenly bread, and that we may no longer live in our sins, but he in us and we in him, and thus truly be made partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace, that we may not doubt, but thou wilt forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing our sins unto us, and providing us with all things necessary as well for the body as the soul, as thy beloved children and heirs. Grant us also thy grace, that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulations with uplifted heads, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, where he will make our mortal bodies like unto his most glorious body, and take us unto him in eternity. Strengthen us by this holy supper in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, whereof we make confession with our mouths and hearts, saying, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. While the table is being prepared, let us turn in our Psalters and sing Psalter number 56. Psalter number 56. 